Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. Visit the website, lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll be talking about education, public education here in Florida. Michael Cannon is the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Lots to talk about with regard to health care and insurance. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. We'll visit with Seton as well as the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. It is October the 29th, and on this day in 1618, Sir Walter Raleigh, English adventurer, writer, and favorite courtier of uh, Queen Elizabeth I was beheaded in London under a sentence brought against him 15 years earlier for a conspiracy against King James. What a story this is. During Elizabeth's reign, Raleigh organized three major expeditions to America, including the first English settlement in America in 1587, the ill-fated Roanoke Settlement located in present-day North Carolina. He later fell out of favor with Elizabeth after she learned of his secret marriage to Bessie Thorkbotten, one of the maids of honor, hurry maids of honor, and he was imprisoned with his wife in the Tower of London. After buying his freedom, Raleigh married Bessie and distanced himself from the jealous English queen. After Elizabeth died in 1603, he was implicated as a foe of King James I and imprisoned with a death sentence. The death sentence was later commuted. And in 1616, Raleigh was freed to lead an expedition to go to the New World, this time to establish a gold mine in the Ronico River River region of South America. However, the expedition was a failure, and when Raleigh returned to England, the death sentence of 1603 was invoked against him. Gee, it's just not a good idea to earn the disfavor with those who have absolute power. The old saying is, where elephants dance, mice shouldn't play. So that's the story of Sir Walter Raleigh, imprisoned, beheaded, leading for adventures to the free world. What a, what a story his life is. Well, also on this day, Black Tuesday descended upon New York Stock Exchange. Prices collapsed amid panic selling and thousands of investors were wiped out as America's Great Depression began. Well, yesterday was a similar day, not as bad. U.S. equity futures are trading higher today after the biggest plunge in the stock market since June. The major future indexes are up about, well, the Dow up about 140 right now, the uh, futures. Stocks are poised to get back some of the losses suffered because of uh, the drop in the market. I think the market dropped primarily because of fear that Biden might be elected and all the things he might impose, COVID-19 lockdowns and so forth. Uh, also, of course, because of uh, Nancy Pelosi and the president couldn't come together with regard to a bailout program to help keep the co- economy moving forward. But a lot of news will break today. Labor Department is expected to say the number of claims for unemployment benefit declined. The National Association of Realtors is out with its index of pending home sales in September. It'll be a day of full earnings with Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, and Twitter all reporting their July through September numbers after the closing bell today. That's big because they are making up a big part of the growth in the market in the last couple of years. 
while the Florida Department of Health reported 79 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Collier County on Wednesday. And there were 35 patients in the Collier County Hospital. So, uh, you know, right now, again, flatten the curve. Hospitals are not overwhelmed. I think they could use a few more patients, actually. The seven-day average of new cases up to about 79 as of October the 27th. That's up from, oh, I think a low of somewhere in the 30s to, uh, it was actually at a high of 221 on July the 13th. Flu deaths are down two-thirds from the five-year average thanks to COVID-19. The corruption of self is self-evident to me. When you pay hospitals for expenses, if the patient has COVID-19, suddenly the flu is cured and COVID-19 surges. You get this picture? The same drastic decline in flu cases is taking place in Britain. The CDC has admitted that they're providing incentives to pay for COVID has driven up the number of COVID deaths, meaning uh, they, people dying of COVID, even though they probably didn't. I think the second wave of COVID-19, as seen in the U.S., is largely manufactured through faulty test results and data tampering, quite frankly. People should stop assuming that CDC, Fauci, Redfield, all those guys are telling the truth. Also, more research is necessary to definitively determine that protective efficiency of cloth masks against the Chinese virus. And this is a report in the U.S. Centers for Disease Control of the CDC. This is their report. They're saying a report published in peer-reviewed journals October 2020, the edition, indicated there is no conclusive evidence showing cloth masks help protect users against coronavirus suggesting the science on the subject is not yet settled, although it seems to be settled in a lot of places. It is the rule of law. And by that, I mean, if not the law, certainly then the expectation. In the report, the authors warned that cloth masks could provide users with a false sense of protection. That's from the CDC. I'm not making this up. Well, Arizona is fired up and ready to re-elect President Donald Trump. 23,591 people showed up for the Bullhead City rally. 24% were not Republican, and 45% did not vote in 2016. In the meantime, a largely publicized uh, rally for Kamala Harris in Tucson, Arizona. Eight to 12 people turned up from the photo counts anyhow. And this is six days before the general election. President Trump is way ahead of the former vice president attendance at rallies or campaign events. President Trump over the past two days has entertained more than 100,000 folks in four states while Biden has entertained less than 80 in Georgia. At some point, reality has to set in for the Democrats. Despite all their attempts to try and work this election, there are just too many Americans who support this historic president. President Trump took the lead over Joe Biden in the Rasmussen Daily Report. It's called the White House Watch Poll. President Trump now holds a 48 to 47% lead over Biden in today's White House Watch polling. President Trump also, now that's the popular, quote unquote, popular vote that over all states. He also holds a 52% favorability rating in Monday's Rasmussen reporting. So things are looking good for the president, irrespective of what the Democrats would like you to believe. Despite the fake news media reports, if these numbers hold up for six more days, it's going to be President Trump waltzing into a second term in this week's election. While Joe Biden and his presidential campaign are staying mum after Hunter Biden's former business associate went public to say he met twice in the past form, uh, with former vice president, despite past statements from Biden 
on the campaign trail that he had no involvement or discussions about family overseas business ventures. He says, I never talked to him about that. I hope he knows what he's doing. That was his comment. The Biden campaign declined to comment on the meeting Biden allegedly had with Bobolinsky. Biden himself did not yet directly address Bobolinsky's claim on Tucker Carlson tonight. In 2019, Biden told reporters, I've never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with the businesses, period, he said. But Bobolinsky in his interview Tuesday described the length of how Joe Biden arrived for a Milken conference partly held in the Beverly Hills Hilton uh, Hotel. And uh, he was uh, introduced by Jim and Hunter Biden to the former vice president. Speaking with Carlson, Bobolinsky also claimed that Biden's denials of knowledge to his son's foreign dealings during the presidential debate was a blatant lie, he said. I didn't request to meet with Joe Biden. They requested that I meet with Joe. They were putting the entire family legacy on the line. They knew exactly what they were doing, says uh, Bobolinsky. He asked why the former vice president would want to meet with him. A study revealed that the big three mainstream media networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, have dedicated a scant 0.32% of their time to covering Hunter Biden's hard uh, drive since the story broke on October the 14th. That's right. 0.32%, less than 1%, a third of a percent. Uh, throughout the two weeks after the first New York Post story dropped on Hunter Biden's corrupt business dealings and his father's involvement, the three networks dedicated 21 minutes, the three networks, a total of 20 minutes and 46 seconds out of 113 hours of total programming. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I think they're just absolutely avoiding their responsibility as the force of state here in the United States. Now, meanwhile, this is Rich. Tech tyrants uh, Jack Dorsey from Twitter and Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook are arguing that stripping them of 230 protections, that's what uh, uh, gives them immunity from being sued for what's on the platforms, will harm free speech online. That's right. Since 2016, after the election of Donald Trump as president, the tech tyrants have been censoring and banning non-approved conservative content on their platforms. The partners in crime at Google have blacklisted conservative websites and their algorithms and search results. The same is not happening on the left or with the fake news mainstream media. Just unbelievable. In the uh, 2018, the Gateway Pundit, terrific uh, media outlet, by the way, published a study of top conservative news outlets and found that Facebook had eliminated 93% of the traffic to top conservative websites since the election. 93%. Facebook began eliminating conservative content after the 2016 election. Numerous conservative websites have been out of business. Twitter is also concentrated on conservative content. If your tweets and content are not approved by Twitter, the thought experts there will remove your tweets and censor or ban your account. That's happened to my wife, Linda. This does not happen on the left. On Tuesday, Facebook uh, Twitter CEOs argued that stripping them of platform 230 protections will harm free speech. I'm not kidding. They really said that. They're just saying that <laughs> the opposite exactly is true, that tech tyrants have done more in three years to eradicate freedom of speech in America than any institutions in this country's founding. Unbelievable. By the way, uh, Anna... Uh, Man Jack Mankanju, I think that's her name, is the Facebook executive in charge of election integrity on the Facebook platform. I guess her job was before the position. She Previously, she was the special policy advisor for Europe and Eurasia to former Vice President 
Joe Biden. That's right, folks. The Facebook executive currently blocking all the negative evidence of Hunter and Joe Biden's corrupt activity used to work for Joe. You can't make this stuff up. Unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. Find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Law, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. The uh, St. Matthew's House Commercial, just uh, a terrific organization, supported very much by Lulabee, Jerry Aholacek at Lulabee's Diner. Uh, they do a great job for breakfast and lunch, and I hope you support them. They also have Uber Eats and uh, Takeout at uh, Lulabee's Diner. So uh, and that Uber Eats is, I think, a delivery service. Anyhow, you can find out more. Uh, Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center in uh, at the corner of Airport Pulling and Immokalee Road. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon from the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Terrific organization. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. 
Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. You know, you've accomplished so much. I, what, what you've done for public education in Florida is really astounding. I really appreciate your contribution to education in Florida. Tell our, citizen, tell our listeners about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, it's a whole team effort. Uh, we're a, a coalition of uh, now well over 100 groups, grassroots groups across the state, uh, over 70,000 people in our active uh, data lists. And we work uh, relentlessly, I guess is the right word, mm-hmm. uh, very passionately to uh, stop the indoctrination that's taking place in our schools, to strongly advocate for expanded school choice options, uh, and all of the above. So we, it keeps us off the street at night, Bob. Yeah, it certainly does. And you do this out with your own dime back and forth to uh, Tallahassee. And I must say, uh, the, the influence that you've gained with the Commissioner of Education and with the governor and uh, the legislature has just been astounding. So congratulations to you. Thank you. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what's happening with current curriculum. Uh, and do you see any trends? Yeah, well, we actually talked about part of this on, your, on one of your shows a couple of weeks ago, um, and we're finding across the state that many school districts are putting in place, you know, these LGBTQ proclamations, and in parallel, some of these are putting in place policies that they're labeling equality and diversity um, inclusion policies, hmm. um, and and what they're really doing is setting up a one-sided. Uh, focus on teaching our kids, uh, in our opinion, it leads to teaching our kids Black Lives Matter, Marxist material, mm. uh, the 1619 Project. So, uh, And they're all one-sided. So uh, last week we became aware of a 10-page executive order put out by President Trump. It's titled Executive Order on Combating Race and Sex Stereotyping. And the introduction is... Uh, I'll just read it to you. In order to promote economy and efficiency in the federal contracting, to promote unity in the federal workforce, and to combat offensive and un-American race and sex stereotyping and scapegoating, uh, he hereby orders. And it goes in. It's ten pages. It goes into uh, a, a lot of examples about how uh, it, it says many people are pushing a different version of America that is grounded in heresies based on collect, collective social and political identities rather than the inherent and equal dignity of every person. And then the executive order goes on to uh, define uh, things like uh, what is uh, devi- de- these divisive concepts and yeah. what is race or sex stereotyping and so, what is so race Keith, or sex this, this reminds me of uh, this apparently the state house state department was conducting these seminars uh, exactly. based on white fragility and uh, institutional racism and all this nonsense so uh, I think this is his he's saying look that has to stop in the federal government and what you're suggesting here is it's going to apply to the public schools as well well, Section 5, what's really interesting is Section 5 of that 10-page order. It's requirements for federal grants. Uh, you may remember that uh, every school district, 10% of their their budget mm-hmm. comes from federal grants, Title IX, Title I, you know, all of these different grants that they get. So what's uh, going to be fascinating, and, and th- th- this executive order says that the heads of all agencies, which would include the Department, U.S. Department of Education, have 60 days to evaluate uh, their grant programs to certify that uh, the funds will not be used to promote the concepts of, of uh, th- th- these different race and sexually inherent su- 
um, activities. Right. So what we're seriously looking at, uh, and we've, we're reaching out to Commissioner Corkin and his team to find out from their perspective what this means for school districts. And uh, so we're just in the investigation mode. Yeah. I just so, but it's, a, I appreciate it's a fascinating the, executive order. Yeah, no, but I appreciate so much you're being on top of this. Most people wouldn't notice this. None, I think most parents, almost all parents, Want they don't want to have kids white you know, white kids shamed about their race. They don't want the structural uh, or institutional racism nonsense is just unbelievable. So uh, and the sixteen nineteen project and so forth, all that stuff needs to be eliminated from the curriculum. Happy you're on top of it. Well, we'll see how where it goes. Uh, it's a fascinating executive order. Uh, of course, executive orders are only there as long as the president is. So yeah. uh, the next week uh, is going to be uh, critical to, to w- where this goes. But um, it, it gives us an opportunity uh, to uh, to pursue uh, in a different way than just fighting it at the local level. So, Well, you know, you certainly have some strength there with that uh, executive order to be able to uh, – you know, show that the president is behind eliminating this stuff and, and any kind of government type of activity, including government schools. Right. So, well, and, and again, it's uh, it's federal funding. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, 10 percent of the funding from for, but for each school district in Florida and it very slightly, uh, but they get these grants. Yeah. And so it would appear to us that they're uh, at risk of losing those grants if they uh, continue to do what they've been doing yeah so Happy we'll year. see is there a template i mean you say that this is happening in several uh, school districts across florida is there a template are they looking kind of like the same well uh, we have two counties uh you know because of the work we were doing in the these with these lgbtq proclamations mm-hmm. uh we've discovered three counties uh that have these diversity programs and they're all very similar and the three that we've discovered so far um, our uh, Manatee County, uh, which just passed one two days ago, uh-huh. um, the Mar- Martin County uh, over on the uh, Space Coast, and Palm Beach County. Uh, we're convinced that it's just the tip of the iceberg, but yeah. I mean, and, and that's one of the other challenges we have. There are 67 counties out there. Yeah. Uh, we've approached the Department of Florida Department of Education to find out uh, if they can help us determine whether other counties are doing this our sense is they are yeah um and it's pervasive but we'll have to see yeah we're just taking a step back i mean you talk about we talk about what happens in government schools well this is socialization training people i I guess really providing them information to be in a sense marxist that's the direction all this goes so you want to make sure the kids are getting a good classical education they want to make sure that they're learning their reading writing and arithmetic as we used to say and and not all of this nonsense so keith really appreciate your website tell us about your websites Okay, well, we actually have two. Now, we have a general website that we've had for a number of years. It's goflca.com, goflca.com, and it's it just contains tons of information and, and current news. Uh, we just created a brand-new website uh, for primarily for parents. It's called libertyscholar.org, uh, libertyscholar.org, and it's that website is, is dedicated to becoming a hub for parents in terms of homeschooling their kids, taking advantage of the, the these uh, Florida uh, scholarship programs that we have, including the Hope Scholarship. So right. um, we're, we're do- doing everything we can to help parents understand there are a lot of resources out there and alternatives to uh, 
the government education that they feel they're trapped yeah. in. Well done, Keith. Again, uh, goflca.com is the major website. Keith, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Take care. You too as well. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the uh, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. I know building a brand new uh, performing arts center, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more about this season's productions by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We advance the traditional American principles of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, Michael, last uh, week we talked about what I considered to be just a real breakthrough study about uh, pharmaceutical drugs and prescription drugs and the opportunities to reduce costs. Could you remind our listeners of, uh, you know, really the body of what the, st what the study showed? 
So the, the Food and Drug Administration is the entity that decides, among other things, whether a drug can be sold over the counter or whether you're going to need a doctor's prescription in order to buy that drug. And the stated reason for giving the government this power to decide what drugs are prescription only is that some drugs are so dangerous that you don't want consumers buying them over the counter. You want them taking those drugs under a physician's supervision. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the stated rationale for giving government this power is consumer safety, to keep consumers safe. Right. But the problem is the Food and Drug Administration requires prescriptions for drugs that are, many drugs that are safe for consumers to use. And when you do that, when you create that unnecessary barrier to consumers accessing really essential medicines, you don't make consumers more safe, you make consumers less safe. Right. And, and you make the process more expensive, quite frankly. Uh, I just uh, bought some Volterran. It's a, I think it's something for arthritis. And uh, it was, it's been sold in Europe for years, and apparently it's just now uh, uh, you can buy it uh, without a prescription. Here, in, just recently, you can start doing that. Uh, what a hassle to have to go see a doctor in order to have to get this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, you apply it. <laughs> you rub it on, so it's it's there's, there's no danger to it whatsoever. There, and whatever dangers there might be, of course, it's it's announced on the tube. So, but that, that's just one example. And the other thing is, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but Medicare insurance does not cover topical treatments. So <laughs> they, don't, they don't pay for it uh, because it, you, you, instead of it taking internally, you use it externally. Well, it probably helps to keep the price down. When insurance pays for drugs, the price usually skyrockets. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the problems with the FDA having this power is that typically drugs, if they're prescription-only, insurance will cover them, and then the price rises as a result. And so when the FDA requires prescriptions for drugs that it doesn't need to, that would be safe for consumers to buy on their own, what happens is the prices of those drugs end up increasing dramatically. I'll give you an example. It comes from the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Obamacare requires insurance plans to cover all FDA-approved prescription contraceptives. The purpose of that is to make it easier for people to access the pill or other forms of contraception. But when the FDA or when the uh, when Obamacare implemented that requirement, when it uh, took full effect in 2014, the prices for hormones and oral contraceptives, which had been falling for years mm. in real terms, all of a sudden started rising. And from 2014 to 2019, essentially doubled. So uh, this uh, this law that was supposed to increase access to contraception caused the price of contraception to double. Hmm. And part of the problem there is insurance, but part of it is also that the FDA is requiring a prescription for daily use oral contraceptives. And if that prescri prescription requirement went away, then a lot more of that market uh, would be over the counter. You'd have more price competition and prices would probably resume falling again yeah. rather than 
climb as they have under the ACA. So uh, my solution would be, let's just get rid of Obamacare because it's a nuisance and let's allow, uh, cons- let's an- allow insurance companies to design plans suited for their, their, their customers. Uh, for me, I'd like a deep, uh, a ca- catastrophic plan, cover catastrophes. I'd pay for the little stuff and uh, get myself a health uh, savings account. Uh, also, why not just have everybody having skin in the game? Instead of a government paying for everything or the insurance paying for everything, you have to pay some of it. And, uh, you know, therefore you'd be concerned about price as well as quality. So make it patient-centric. I think prices would fall dramatically if that happened. They certainly would. You know, in the, in the United States, 90% of all health care spending comes from someone other than the consumer. 90%? On average. We as consumers pay out of pocket for ten percent, ten cents on the dollar of mm. all healthcare spending. That means that you and I, as patients, we don't care about price nearly as much as we should. We don't shop around nearly as much as we should, and producers don't try to compete on the basis of price by offering us lower prices nearly as much as they should. Because if we shop around. We only get 10% of the savings mm-hmm. from finding a lower-priced option. 90% of the savings goes to someone else, the government or a private insurance company, an employer. And so we don't get the sort of price competition we would in a market system. And instead, we get this sort of pricing dynamics I described with oral contraceptives where the, the prices are skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right, Bob, but repealing Obamacare isn't going to do it. If you're on Medicare, and to make everyone on Medicare more price-sensitive, what we need to do is reform that program Mm -hmm. by taking the money Medicare was going to spend on you anyway Mm -hmm. and just giving it to you Mm -hmm. and saying, you're not going to get an unlimited entitlement. You're going to get a a fixed amount of money like you do with Social Security. And then like Social Security, we're going to trust you to spend it on the health insurance plan that you want, be it a catastrophic plan or something else. And... And we're going to trust you to spend the rest out of pocket. And when Medicare does that, and when consumers will see 100% of the savings from shopping around, and producers will see, uh, will have an incentive to compete on the basis of price, then we're going to see prices fall, like you suggest. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not just a little bit. Prices are going to fall dramatically, yeah. so dramatically, that we'll make healthcare more accessible for millions and millions of people who cannot afford it today. Well, one other point. I mean, I think in, in hospitals, they have so much control over the cost of things, you know, and I, I'm making this up, but $15 for an aspirin, that kind of thing. It's just uh, unconscionable, quite frankly. There should be transparency on that and competition, quite frankly. And uh, is, is it true that hospitals have that kind of control? Are they kind of a, uh, kind of, <laughs> is there some sort of a price conspiracy going on? It certainly is true that in many areas of the country, hospitals have what we call market power, or in some cases, a near monopoly, where instead of being price takers, where they don't have any control over the price because the forces of competition uh, 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 drive prices down, uh, hospitals are price makers, where they do have some power to set the price that other people end up paying them. And, And, you know, there's an entire area of economics that studies this and has found that, yes, hospitals do have that market power. But what that literature has also found is that even if hospitals have that market power, Uh 
if you make consumers price sensitive, mm -hmm. then consumers will shop around and that the, the mere fact that consumers are shopping around means that uh, those hospitals with market power will have to reduce their prices. Yeah. You know, and I, we've seen that in hip and knee replacements where the prices have come down 37% in two years just because we consumers w were all of a sudden price sensitive yeah. and avoided the hospitals that charge too much. And you know what? It's not the doctors that are making the money. They're getting a small part of that. I know for a fact because I had both of my knees replaced. Total bill was $53,000. And uh, I, I found out how much of a doctor made it because he's one of my best friends. And uh, so the, the hospitals really, well, anyhow, Michael, this is such an important topic. I mean, this is so important because of our economy and uh, our what we need is more free markets. I really appreciate your comp uh, contribution to the show, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Thank you so much. And by the way, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and uh, president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett, the former mayor of Naples. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. He's the founder and president of Guy. I think he had the organization he named, I think it's the best name in the world. It's called Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. So tell us about Less Government. Scope and sphere of influence of government anywhere it raises its ugly head, which is everywhere. Everywhere, indeed. Well, it's so interesting to me. We've talked about this Section 230, the uh, 1996 Act that protects uh, the Twitters and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. Well, right now, the uh, CEOs of these companies are up on Capitol Hill saying, hey, if you get, take away Section 230, everything's going to collapse, and, no. uh, we, and we, don't, we don't discriminate. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, it, it, it's, it, everyone's saying it's the foundation, Section 230 is the foundation of the Internet. No, it's the foundation of the Internet comment section. Mm -hmm. If the comment sections go away, does the world stop spinning on its axis and hurtle into the sun? No. No. <laughs> um, in, in fact, you know, uh, if you're a writer, you, you're, you know, in fact, if you're any public figure, you don't read the comment sections unless you want to feel very, very bad about yourself all the time. Um, we, we, it's no great sh loss if the comment sections go away. Um, now, I, I, I want to commend Twitter for their homeless chief executive program. Um, <laughs> Jack Dorsey looks like they got him off the street in San Francisco right. and made him head of the company. Um, but, look, Section 230 needs to go. Look, there's no, there's no half measure you can take. It's impossible. Yeah. Section 230 provides liability protection against slander, uh, libel, uh, intellectual property theft, uh, for these third, for if third party people uh, posted on your website. Well, the problem is any type of speech modulation within the confines of Section 230 is a First Amendment violation. It's the government saying, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can say this. The only way to fix this is to make Section 30 go away. Huh. That's interesting. Because that, cause you, you, then it's then it's, it's everything. Fine. If you want to edit it, fine. That's great. If you want to kick conservatives off, fine. But you don't get liability protection from the government, which has been the single greatest crony gift to uh, any company ever in the history of government cronying up the business. Um, so you can't, there's no half measure. Yeah. Everything, you know, and, and they're right when, they, when the defenders of Section 230 say, well, you can't, you know, mandate political balance, it's, it's, it's a First Amendment violation, and it is. So the only solution is to get rid of Section 230. Yeah, all right. Well, you know what? Uh, I know you thought it through and thought it through carefully. I was hoping that perhaps uh, Ajit Pai, I guess his name is. The, the, yes, Ajit Pai, the, the Indian from Kansas, yes. Yeah, the Indian from Kansas could uh, come up with a solution to modify Section 230, but basically... You can't do it. Yeah. You, you, there's no... You, you can't do it. This is what... Look. Once you violate the Constitution, Section 230 is a constitutional violation. Um, once you do that, you've, you've, in, you've encroached with government into areas that it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Well, then, you know, that, 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 I remember somebody was writing their, their Ph.D. thesis on should there be sex education in schools? And my resp immediate response was, what if there should be neither? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, once, 
once you have the reason we have so many conflicts in society now um, in cultural clashes is because government is so huge it's bumping into all sorts of parts of life that it's not supposed to be bumping into yeah no and then you get in all these constitutional questions um, for example there is no constitutional empowerment to give the government the right or the authority to ban discrimination in fact the first amendment pr- protects discrimination right. you you can assemble you're free to assemble any way you wish or not assemble any way you wish you know uh completely free from government interference or imposition um this this war on discrimination is a complete 180 on that it's a it's a non-stop violation of the of the first amendment and it's because the government is engaged in areas it's not supposed to be engaged in yeah so see but one thing i'm sure of is the Section 230 protection that these guys are getting right now for their companies? They are just, they are just playing favorites with regard to the left. They are well, they're, they're acting as publishers, which means they aren't acting as platforms, right. which means they don't get Section 230 protection. Yeah, they should. They should somehow, some way, they should get be punished for, for what they're doing right now. And I, sec- I mean, it's, it's amazing. Sec- taking Section in the two- same par- in the same breath, Democrats will say. They're, they're not engaged in political discrimination. They can't be engaged in political discrimination. Section 230. So what are you going to do about hate speech? Yeah. Well, w- wait a minute. <laughs> if they're editing their content, they're, be- they're, they're publishing. They're not platforming. Yeah, interesting. You know, Seton, you wrote a great column about uh, uh, one. It's a USPTO. It's about the uh, patent courts. One deep state swamp backwater that is getting drained. I think this is a really positive thing moving forward. Could you just give us a brief overview? Yeah, the, uh, Trump chose as the head of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, that's the USPTO, a guy by the name of Andre Iancu, who was an uh, uh, intellectual property lawyer out in California, and he's been fabulous. Um, when when Obama, Obama had help from the Republicans in Congress and the courts, unfortunately, during his eight years in undermining uh, U.S. intellectual property protection, when Obama entered office, we were consistent. There's a global innovation index, which, you know, looks at all the laws and regulations and, and how each country treats intellectual property. When Obama entered office, we were one or two every year, mostly one, almost always one. When he left office, we were out of the top ten. Wow. That's bad. And, and, and part of it was Obama's, you know, suing Apple, I mean, suing um, on behalf of Apple, Qualcomm, saying a patent's a monopoly, which is like suing Shaquille O'Neal for being tall. Right. But also, Congress passed a very terrible law called the American Invents Act, which gave the USPTO under Obama a lot of latitude to attack the, you know, intellectual pot- property landscape, and they did. Willie Anko, to the best of his ability, without congressional help, of course, has you know, gone into the thicket of regulations Obama had put in with a, you know, with a machete and has been hacking his way through. And we're all the way back up to number two oh, on the great. Global Innovation Index. That's fantastic. Just based upon, largely based upon what he's done in the Patent and Trademark Office. So he deserves a huge amount of credit for what he's done and Trump for picking him. And for Trump for picking him again. Hey, really appreciate this. Seat Motley, again, the president and founder of Less Government. You can visit Less Government at lessgovernment.org or on Facebook as well. Seaton, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with the Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Well, I know you're back to Naples, and uh, how's the landscape? How's everything looking to you? <laughs> well, it's kind of like, kind of like I said to you. You know, when you ask someone, "Well, how are you?" and they, 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 they look at you or they respond saying, "Well, I'm worried about the election. I'm worried about what's going on in Europe and the and the COVID. Uh, um, I'm worried about the stock market." Uh, other than that, everything is, is, <laughs> yeah. is great. <laughs> yeah, there so, is a lot at play right now. Uh, I guess. Oh yeah, for sure. I just, I would, you know, uh, candidly, Bob, I'll be glad when the election's over. Of course, we all have our favorites. We know who we want to win, and our and various reasons and whatever. But you know, not everybody's going to be happy, obviously. But you know, if it's for the better of the nation, and um, and we can get ourselves back on track and get that stock market you know, crank back up. Uh, I think it'll ease a lot of people's minds. You know, I, w- I was thinking yesterday and comment on this, uh, you know, when a market does things like that, I mean, what about all the people with 401ks? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the, the, uh, this happens to be the anniversary of the, uh, black Monday or black Tuesday, I should say back in 1929, this is, <laughs> it is that yeah. anniversary. So, uh, but the, the point is right now, the market is saying, look, we're really concerned about COVID. The market's saying we're really concerned, quite frankly, I think about if there's a Biden election and uh, shutdown of the economy, that'll hurt us. And of course, they're concerned about the lack of stimulus that should have been provided by a, an agreement between uh, the, right. uh, President Trump and Nancy Pelosi, but uh, that didn't materialize. And it, I think it's basically based on uh, Trump derangement syndrome. So hating Trump so much that she refuses to bo- to do what's right for the American people. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, like, like you said, it's, um, 
there's a lot out there to be to be unhappy and concerned about. But on the other hand, there is a lot. Um, there's a lot to be to be content with uh, the fact that um, that we're here and we're yep. we're in a great country and uh, um, we have what so many others don't. And and you know you should never forget that. So, Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, we we move on in Naples, Florida, right? Absolutely. It's the happiest and healthiest city or area. Yep. in the United States, grateful for that. And then, you, quite frankly, you just think about folks in other parts of the country who uh, <laughs> the the governor of California said, we want you to wear a face mask while you're eating and just remove the mask when you put food in your mouth. Can you believe this? I mean, it's... <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I had... Uh... Yeah, I mean, we all have friends that, that wear them, and you know, you go into a restaurant and then you take it off. But um, what do you do? Do you do you lift the mask with your left hand and then put your food in your mouth and then close the mask when you're chewing? I don't get that one. Yeah, but that's what he's saying. He's <laughs> yeah, what's what he wants everybody to do. In the mean, in the meantime, uh, COVID is spiking in California like it is in other places around the country. Now, fortunately, it hasn't spiked down here. We're seeing the number of cases go up, and we're seeing the seven-day average go up. I think it's up to about seventy, if I'm not mistaken. So, right. but but uh, which is not like a, a real spike. But uh, I'm concerned. How about you? Yeah, I, I am as well. We're not changing any of our our um, lifestyle, you know, habits or anything. I mean, we're, we're careful. We wear our masks. We go to the food store when we need to, and we hang around with, our, uh, with very close friends that we know are like we are, but you, you just, you just don't know. And you just have to be careful. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. The first responders and all of those people that, that look after us. I mean, they, they deserve all the, all the kudos they can get. Good point. I'm happy you brought that up because, in fact, uh, you know they're out there in the front lines, protecting us and taking care of us and making sure that our, our community is safe and uh, uh, you know from predators and that kind of thing. So uh, they do do deserve our congratulations and thanks. So, any good scoop in Naples? Uh, well, you know, um, council is is moving along uh, at a, a snail's pace, but they're moving, and uh, uh, the legal uh, issues seem to be. Uh, have resolved for at least uh, at least uh, up to a year because at the last moment uh, they signed a contract with uh, Retzel and Andres, our firm that we have now, mm. because they realized they were going to be in one heck of a box if they didn't, and so they're going to still be looking for for another firm. Why I I just it's it's beyond me, but um, the mayor had a uh, you know tried to pull a fast one in there at the end, but the uh, council voted her down. So. Um, she had her own firm all lined up that she wanted to put in there, but uh, council saw through it and, and voted it down five to two. So we're going to be okay. Did, has the topic of face mask mandates come up at all in city council? No, uh, no, because, um, you know, once the county did that um, and and we, the, the, the city, had not passed the face mask anyway, and they didn't mirror what the county did, and I don't think it's coming up again. At least I don't know if it is, but that could change on a daily basis. But yeah. um, I just think it's 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 understood, Bob. You know um, that, uh, and and everything that you hear now nationally, and and everybody's saying you got to wear the face mask. Well, most people I think do, but if you don't want to, I think the big argument is, well, you don't. You know, I don't want to be forced to do it. Well. I guess there's a lot of thought there. You and I have talked about it over yeah. the over the past months. So it's it's um, it's one of those things that um, that 
if it if it does protect you and i believe it does some might believe it doesn't you know you do what you believe in that's all well i agree with you know from my standpoint uh, i want to be courteous of my neighbors and my family i want to make sure that i'm doing the best thing for people but i want it to be my decision i don't want the government coming up with some sort of a mandate so my point the cdc just came out with a study saying there is no definitive proof that face masks do any good <laughs> that came out yeah. yesterday so <laughs> <laughs> with that being said <laughs> well yeah and and uh as i say the I, are you going out trick-or-treating bob no how about you bill well i i you know H- halloween is a big day for me bob and and i got a zero birthday coming up oh so it's your birthday the 31st of october that's right yeah happy birthday yeah. to you bill well, thanks. I, I had to tell you that, Bob, because you knew it anyway, but uh, this, yeah. is a, this is a biggie for me. Biggie? This, so you're going to be 60. Yeah. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm not embarrassed to say it. I hit 80. Congratulations to you. Boy, you are a young 80, too. It's, uh, it's yeah, gr- I still think like I'm a 38-year-old. That's the problem. Chris is like, you know, you got to move your thinking up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, happy birthday to you, Bill. Hey, you know, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And I genuinely appreciate giving it and sharing it with you. You have a great one, Bob. You as well. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. You can, if you'd like to get a copy of the newsletter that I send out uh, after each show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, your comments about the show, its content, and so forth, its flow, I always appreciate that as well. bobharden at hotmail.com. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. I'd like to just have him weigh in a little bit on what's happening with Michael Flynn. Some very interesting things. They're just trying to keep him. I think it's political. They're trying to keep him from talking until the election's over. Marina Berkovich is going to be with us. She is uh, comes from Soviet Russia, uh, the Soviet Union. She grew up there. And uh, she's written a song, uh, some new words to the word to the music. Imagine, and uh, it's, I think it's really first of all the, the uh, music's great, but the second of all, her story is uh, so provocative and interesting. Her background and uh, how she views uh, freedoms here in America. We'll visit with Sharon Kenny. She's the author of Where Should We Eat, and Dave Beagle will be with us as well. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He wrote a book because uh, SEIU union bosses. Uh, assaulted him and his customers and his families, everybody, in order to try and get him to sign a neutrality agreement. He said, look, I'm not going to do that. If you want to unionize my shop, 6,000 employees over 40 states, you have to do it through a private ballot. And uh, they refused. The union bosses says, nope, we're not going to do it that way. So they provide, they continued on with their dirty tricks. Well, it happens to be kind of a playbook for the Democrat Party. And I always appreciate our conversations with uh, Dave Beagle. So he'll be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>